Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, can I just welcome everyone joining at home as well as in the room? And as we come to this final part of our series, Christian, we're sort of coming into land with this amazing story of resurrection hope. And I don't know about you, but over the weeks where we've had testimonies like Olivia's today and Stephen Peer last week and all across this series, beautiful testimonies that point us to Jesus, that point us to resurrection hope. Because our heart in this series was to say, this is the heart of what we believe. Either it's true or it isn't. Either it's worth living and dying for or it isn't. Because whatever we research, whatever we Google, whatever we look into before we buy or before we invest, we want to know two things. Does it work and is it true? And I think over these weeks, we've had that answered in beautiful, powerful ways, even this morning. Does it work? Does this resurrection hope that we've just heard about work and is it true? And we're going to look at what does it mean to share resurrection hope with the world? Because in this story, these two guys, or were male and female, we don't know, but these two disciples are full of melancholy and despair. Not only that, but they're walking away from Jerusalem, which is really symbolic. They're walking away, if you like, from their faith and what they believed would happen. It's the third day. They're a bit tired of waiting and they're going home, frankly. They're going back to Emmaus, which was a sort of unknown village. They're walking away. Quite a lot of artwork shows the sort of three crosses in the background, but actually these guys walking away, melancholy and saying, ah, doesn't work. Jesus wasn't who he said he was. He didn't rise again. It's evening. It's the third day. The scriptures are not being fulfilled. And I wanted to spend just a few minutes with us this morning looking at four points, really, from the passage the first is that, that they're walking away in disappointment. And haven't we all been there at some point in our lives that we've just thought, actually, really, is this true? Is it worth hanging in there? Does it really work? Maybe you're even there today. Secondly, they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And we hear their eyes are opened. Not they open their eyes. Their eyes are opened. Something happens, an encounter happens that they can't deny. Something that actually makes them think it is you, it is real. Thirdly, we're going to look at the fact that it is true. And they get up and they don't just say it's true and dance around. They get up and they go back to Jerusalem and they say, guys, it is true. All the things we've been hearing about, it is true. And others say, like the women say, yeah, we heard it too. We've seen that the tomb is empty and they have fellowship together. And that's what we here at Riverside are so passionate about, that fellowship, your story, my story, life groups, community groups, where we say, this is my story, what's yours? That's fellowship. And then finally, mission. We hear, you are the witnesses to these things, says Jesus, so go. Wait to be clothed in power, the Holy Spirit, as we heard a few weeks ago, and then go. Go and share this. 
Now, I don't know where you're at with the world. I don't know how your week has been. Uh, I had another slightly trepidatious uh, Zoom call this week. Uh, I don't know whether you love them or hate them. They're a bit Marmite-like. Um, but many of you will be familiar with the shelves behind my Zoom. I think they became quite infamous in lockdown, and people commented on all sorts of things uh, from there. Um, but one thing that happened, I had a little move around, little shake about again. And some of you will remember this sign. <laughs> Uh, from history, uh, from way back when. It was a Christmas present someone gave me years ago. And uh, I suddenly realised on my Zoom screen, <laughs> once again, that evil was behind me. Um, and literally, it was behind me. And I was just about to welcome everyone with evil in the background. Um, now, there's a bit of a story to this that some of you will know, but I was given this for Christmas many years ago by a lovely friend who's still a seeker. Her name is Lizzie, lovely girl I shared with at uni. And uh, she gave me this she said oh gee I gave you this because I think you're full of life and I just thought of you and I thought you should have this and I thought oh that's rather nice isn't it quite like that full of life abundant life whatever so I thought I'll put that by my Christmas tree really pride of praise once I'd opened it and then uh, towards the new year a friend came round uh, from church actually and uh, he said why have you got evil written in your window Judy have you not had a good Christmas what has happened that you're wishing the world evil um, and uh, it's not a good look for a pastor, certainly, on my road to say evil at this new year. Uh, but the reason for reminding us, I was reminded of it, obviously, on Zoom, and I did remove it, so I didn't wish anyone evil. But this whole story really is kind of about that, as Tim said last week, that actually it's about life. It's about, as Steve said in his beautiful testimony alongside Pierre last week, it's about the fact that God doesn't do death. Jesus doesn't do death. I loved what Steve said right at the end. Jesus doesn't do death, but he does do life. He does life now, abundant life, and resurrection life. And I couldn't put, I almost thought, that's it, message done. I thought that was absolutely beautiful last week and from Olivia this week. And the world is in a bit of a state at the moment. And we perhaps feel, particularly in the West, that we are walking away from faith, that we look towards money and it's sort of let us down and the economy's all over the place and everyone's frightened and rightly so. There are a lot of real genuine needs out there that we as a church are longing to meet, but there are needs. There is a sack that actually we thought money was the answer and we're walking away and we realised we couldn't put our trust in it. Perhaps we thought health was the answer and many testimonies say actually every day is a gift as Olivia has so beautifully reminded us today. And we're walking away and we're saying, well, where is hope then? Where is hope in our society? And if we think we're any different, back in 1828, interestingly, Tolstoy, uh, the brilliant author, says this, what will become of my life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning in life that inevitable death will not destroy? He was asking that then. He was saying where do I go for hope? Where do I go? Is there anything that death won't swallow up? Well, yes, there is. And his name is Jesus. But Tolstoy was seeking. And you will have many people in your lives now. Maybe it's you that are saying, is this true? Matthew Perry, who was one of the actors in Friends, you'll remember him as Chandler. Put your hand up if you've seen an episode of Friends. I think if you're breathing, oh, there's less than I thought. I've underestimated your bar in terms of uh, intellectual input. Mine is fairly low, as you may know. 
Um, but Tolstoy and Matthew Perry, just saying. Um, but Matthew Perry has just written a, a biography, and I've been reading it. Um, and he talks about the age of 13, when he wanted to be an actor. So he thought fame was the answer. He prayed at 13 that he would become famous. He thought, that will make my life count. That's where significance is. That's where joy is. And finally, in about chapter 7 of the book, I think it is, he has the dream. He's in the most successful American sitcom at the time, the best-selling in the whole of America. And at the same time, he is in a film, The, Full nine, the Whole Nine Yards, which is the max in Hollywood. It's the bestseller. So he's in the best film and the best TV show. And where is he? He's stoned out of his mind in a hotel room on drugs and on alcohol, afraid to leave the house, afraid to leave the room. In other words, he had the dream. He had what his, he thought his soul needed. And there he is, unable to enjoy it, realizing again that he's walked away, if you like, from Jerusalem towards a false god. And as these travelers walk, Jesus walks along with them. He spends time with them beautifully. He doesn't force himself on them. He just walks with them. And he says, guys, what's the matter with you guys? What, what's, why, why are you looking so troubled? Maybe he would say that to some of us today. Why are you so downcast? And they're like... Are you the only person anywhere that hasn't heard why we are so upset? Are you the only person who doesn't get this? And he could say, actually, I'm the only one who does get it, couldn't he? Because he is the only one who gets it. But instead, he doesn't say that. He honours them. He's gentle with them. He walks with them. And that's what this series, in a way, has been about, walking with us, saying, who is this? Is this stuff true? Walking together on that journey, on that pilgrimage, if you like, trying to discover if Christianity is real, if it's worth living for, if it's worth dying for. And he says to them, he walks with them, and he talks about him being the fulfillment, or Jesus being the fulfillment of prophecies. But it's interesting that actually there's a bit of humour here, that when he says, when they say to him, are you the only one? I was thinking about when we walked in COVID, when we did our walks every day, do you remember? And suddenly people talked to each other and they said, are you scared? I'm scared, particularly in the first lockdown. You know, are you going mad trying to teach your kids at home? What's going on? What's going on? And suddenly, and it's a bit like that, everyone was talking about this. It wasn't just a small thing. Everyone was saying, this guy died saying he was the Messiah and yet he's dead and it's the third day. And beautifully, they say this, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Daniel Strickland, in her book, The Beautiful Mess, which I know many of you are reading, because we're doing it for a book club among the women uh, next week. But she interviews some women, and she says, when have you encountered Jesus? When have you encountered him? When have each of you known that he is real? that he is who he says he is. And one woman says, well, actually, for me, it was in the forest. And Danielle Strickland starts to think, oh, okay, so she was out for a leafy walk, and it was beautiful, and perhaps she saw God in the trees. But actually, it was in the Rwandan genocide, in a forest with 40 people, mainly children, hiding, and every one of them meets and has a vision of Jesus. Now, you wouldn't wish that on anyone, 
just as some of our stories we would not wish on people. But nevertheless, the reality of Jesus' presence, of Jesus' hope, was with them. And that was her most empowerful encounter with Jesus. He walks with us in our times of despair, but there's a craving in us that says, stay with us, journey with us until we get there. And he responds, because these two travellers say, come in, come into our house. Stay with us. There's something in their spirit that resonates with his spirit that says there's something about this guy as he talks about the scriptures. Our hearts were burning. Something is happening to us and we want him to stay with us. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're doing Alpha. Maybe you're exploring the Christian faith. And there's something about you that says, I'm not there yet, but stay with me, Lord, on this journey. Stay with me, God, as I find out if you are real. And our prayer for you is that you would stay with us and stay with him as you find out more and more about him and get to know him. It goes on to say, Jesus says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in scriptures concerning himself. And he's ready to leave and he stays with them, breaks bread with them. And suddenly we have that beautiful verse that says, their eyes were opened. And I think we can all relax a little bit there, just take the weight off a little bit, because their eyes were opened. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. It was a revelation that only God could do. And whether you're waiting for that fresh revelation today, whether you're praying for that for somebody who you love, who you just long that they would know this risen Jesus, who's beaten death for us, who's turned evil around, who's turned death to life, who doesn't do death, as Steve reminded us last week. And I loved what Tim said when he, he came back from sabbatical. He said it a few times, what have you got? What have you got, world? Because we have the words of eternal life. That's what Peter says to Jesus. Where else would I go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would Olivia go? Where else would Stephen Peer go? Where else would we go with the things that we are still wrestling with? Because Jesus here, he does reveal who he is, but he doesn't give them all the answers, does he? He doesn't give them all the answers, but what he does says is, I am here, and it is true. I am risen. It is true. So when we look at does it work and is it true, well, yes, it is true. And how do we know? Because there is evidence. There is evidence to prove it, that he did live and rise again. I don't know how many of you watch The Crown. You're beginning to sense the bar of my TV viewing once again. I know it's dubious. Um, but in that, at the moment, the current series, just wave at me if I'm not on my own. Oh, good. Oh, I've got... Almost up to friends there, weren't we? But um, quite a classy bunch, I think. Um, but watching that recently, and it's all a bit paraphrased, and I don't know how much truth there is in this, but certainly the Duke of Edinburgh starts to mock this guy who's the Dean of Windsor, uh, who's got all these people gathered in St George's house to sort of recover and find faith and renew their faith and renew their encounters. And he goes and he goes, what a load of rubbish. He said, you'd be better off going out and achieving stuff. You know, look at the moon landings. Look what's really going on. You need to get out and do some stuff. Make something of yourselves. Be significant. That's what 
what you need to do. And he mocks it. And then the moon landings happen. He's so excited. And he thinks this is brilliant. And then they say, do you want to meet the three guys? And he says, yes, please. I'd love to meet those guys. How amazing. And he's given 15 minutes just to meet with the three guys. And he sees them, they come, and uh, he invites them in. There's this huge sort of press entourage. And then in the room, he looks at them, and they've all got colds. All of them have got colds, and they're pale young men who are tired and weary and have got colds. And he just says, oh, it's you. And he's really disappointed. And then he says, so what's the moonlight? And they were going, oh, we're really busy just checking stuff. And he's like, what? He said, but what did you find there? He says, well, it's dust. And he thinks, hang on a minute, this was supposed to be the great achievement. This was the seminal moment in the world. This was the moment. And actually, he's so disillusioned that he goes back to that group of vicars, that group of men in St. George's house, and he says, help me. Help me, because actually what I need is faith. Because all the moon landings in the world don't do what Jesus does right here in this passage, that he beats death for us eternally. That's the most significant thing that has ever happened in history. And what's interesting is the message is never fully ours until we share it. Because we see that the bread is broken and then they run back for fellowship and then Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit and then go. Go and share this resurrection hope with everyone around you. They return joyfully to Jerusalem. And I'd just say to you, particularly some of you young people, there's a lot of stories around at the moment. There's a lot of vernacular that says, find your truth. Where's my truth, your truth, my truth, your truth? Well, that works to an extent. But there are some things that are either true or they're not. They're either true or they're not. We're either conning people and have done for 2,000 years, or this really happened. Because even the fact that the church is still going, even the fact that we meet today and worship together and tell each other stories together and spur each other on in faith, in fellowship, it's either true or it isn't. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, Jesus rose from the dead. He says, there are hundreds of people living, most of them still living, go and try it out for themselves because they saw that he's the risen Jesus. And he actually says that. He actually says, go out and find some of the people that are living. And that's how the church was birthed, that people went on and shared and shared and shared and said, there's a guy who said that he was the Messiah who died and three days later rose from the dead and said, I have beaten death for us. Matthew Perry, remember him, he was in a hotel room, stoned and desperate. At the end of the book, he has an encounter, a divine encounter that he says he will never, ever be the same again. He says, I've been in the presence of the living God, of this I was certain. And this time I prayed for the right thing. I prayed for help. God, in this encounter, shows him a sliver of what life could be. He had saved me that day, and for all the days, no matter what, he had turned me into a seeker, not only of sobriety and truth, but of him. So he's gone from the big Hollywood dream, the thing he prayed for that let him down, He's turned away from Jerusalem and gone towards Emmaus. And then, in this resurrection encounter, in this encounter that he cannot explain, he has turned around and gone back and said, help me. And that's our faith. Every day, 
every day, coming back to the risen Jesus. Help me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm on a journey. I'm a traveler. And we need each other. We need fellowship. And we're on mission. And one of the things I love as we come to a close is that this mission is a joyful one. It's not a shoulds and oughts and must-dos. And I ask your forgiveness if sometimes perhaps we've given that impression in our preaching or in our sharing. Because this is a story of joy. It's a story that they meet with the risen Jesus and they cannot help but go out and say, it's true, it's true. And Jesus says there will be the power of the Holy Spirit with them. There is the power of the Holy Spirit with you as you face today, as you face tomorrow, as you think of that person that you're going to invite along to the carol services, whether that's next Sunday on the 18th. And wouldn't it be amazing if all of us invite someone? And it's God's job whether they say yes or not, by the way. It's not yours. And no is as good as a yes in the sense that the obedient thing is that you went out and you said, I found this hope in a world that says there is no hope. We're all going to hell in a handcart. You say, no, I know a Jesus who can turn this around. I know a Jesus who has beaten death. Find your truth. There is truth. That is not relative. It is faith in Jesus. The whole Christian faith is based on it. There is more evidence that Jesus lived and rose from the dead than there is about the fall of Rome, about the rise of Caesar Augustus. It's evidently true, and we put our faith in that. Jesus is finishing by saying, you are witnesses to these things, and I send you out. I send you with the power that my Father promised, clothed in the Spirit from on high.